I'm Greg Triggs, and our guest today is Mark Pawsey, a stage manager, producer, and all-around interesting guy from all over the world. And you're listening to Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where are we gonna go? Travels with Triggs. Hi, Mark. Welcome to Travels with Triggs. Hey, Greg. Pleasure to be here and lovely to talk with you as always. Well, I think our audience is going to get a huge kick out of you. Uh, just a reminder, normally we go to people around the world and talk about whatever's on our minds. But now, thanks to the pandemic, we're bringing people to Jeffersonville and WJFF. Mark Pawsey is talking to us from Orlando, Florida, but he has lived all over the world. He's lived in Las Vegas. He's lived in Asia. He's lived in London. He's worked all over as a producer, as a stage manager, uh, and as a creative director for Cirque du Soleil. Right, Mark? Yes. Actually, I was an artistic director for, for Cirque, but that oh. was uh, yeah, a, a few years back now. But uh, yeah, do you want me to tell everybody a little bit about my history? And like, uh, Yes. Give us your version of your history. Tell your story. So went to drama school in London, went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, um, had alumni such as Jolie Richardson and Ray Fiennes, who I was studying with them. Um, I was as a stage manager, not as uh, uh, an actor. Then I worked in the West End of London for 15 years as a company manager uh, on shows like the original production of Phantom, uh, Buddy, uh, I did many different things there. Boy George musical Taboo. Then I fell in love with Cirque du Soleil, ended up working for them for 16 years, touring the world, living, as you said, in Asia. I lived in um, Tokyo for three years through the earthquake and tsunami there in 2011. Uh, then I lived in Las Vegas for 10 years, working on Zumanity, uh, the naughty side of Cirque du Soleil. And um, for the last four years, I've been in Orlando uh, working for a boutique production company called The Imagination House. We do live entertainment. Which is how we met. Much. And yeah, also you are on the board of the center in Orlando, Florida, which is the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, queer community center, correct? Yes, I just, I'm very excited to be in one place. This is one of the benefits of the pandemic because I'm in one place and I'm never usually in one place. I think last year, uh, actually 2019, I think there was a six month period where I was only four nights in my bed. Not because I was doing anything naughty, just because I was off, you know, touring the world, doing fabulous things, a lot of them with you. So to be in one place for the last year through the pandemic, I've never been in one place ever for this amount of time. So it means that I can connect with the community. Yes, most of it's online at the moment, but that's been the joy. I've been able to, to join um, this board and uh, I'm happy to, to be there through this year um, as they're kind of like exploding with in, in growth. And there's a new store that just opened out of the closet. Um, and we have we have two centers because we have the center in Orlando and then we have the one in in uh, um, I always say this word wrong, so I apologize because I want to say kissing me, but it's kissing me. So um, we have uh, yeah, those two centers. You know, you mentioned the P word, the pandemic. What have been some of the lessons that you've gotten out of it or insights? Because life has slowed down. It's been uh, more centered 
right? So what are a few of the insights that you'd share with the audience about what you've gotten through this? I think there's two insights, really. Um, the first insight is about connectivity. Um, in the busy lives that we lead, that's the thing that I have neglected probably the most, my connectivity to friends. So I've reestablished so many of those, some that I'd, I'd broken the, the connection, not through anything other than circumstance for up to 20 years, got those people back in my life. So we have regular Zoom calls. Um, so having Zoom is just a, a godsend because you can be anywhere around the world talking to anybody at any time of day. So that I would say is thing I had neglected and have got back. So that's a gift from the pandemic. Um, I would say it, it, it's also because um, I'm, I'm HIV positive. I have been since 1985. So I'm in my 37th year of having that. And it's awoken many of the same feelings and uh, issues that we had back then. So anybody that was alive during that, I think COVID has, has been very similar in how people dealt with it, how people reacted to it, and how people reacted to other people dealing with it. Uh, I think there's some some great similarities. So I think I think I, I reawoke that and I learned about connectivity. I think those are the two things probably from the pandemic. But but anytime you get to the stop, it's a gift because life is so busy and so full on and you don't stop. So when you actually physically have to, um, it, 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 is a, it is a gift to, uh, I've been writing. So like, like you, um, I, I've been doing a, a biographical book, which, which I started 30 years ago. And um, every time I have a break, I start again. And then five years goes past and then I start again. And at the start of the pandemic, I think I might have mentioned to you, my mother said to me, hmm, am I ever going to get to read your book? And I was like, oh, yes, of course. And she said, only it is taking you an awfully long time to complete it. So having had shade from my mother, it's now my mission to finish it. And uh, I try and deliver a chapter each week or a transcript because I'm doing lots of interviews within the book. So that's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of writing. Too. Well, to be fair to your mother, you did start the book when she was in her 50s. It's very true, Peg. I did. <laughs> and now she's 84. So, no, I, I do just, just uh, it's 83. Um, but, um, but yes, and it was one of those things that, you know, you don't know whether you want people to see your vulnerability, especially your family. You don't know whether you want to expose yourself. You don't know whether you'll ever be ready to show them who you really are. But, you know, we, we, there, there comes a time in everybody's life where you go, actually, I am ready. And I think I am ready now to, to show that I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I've done. There's nothing that I have that's a secret, There's, you know, and and if people don't like you because of a certain thing you say or a certain thing that you've done, it doesn't matter. You know, well, it's just the matter. truth, right? I mean, it's the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. But sometimes we're not ready to tell our truth. And that's that's the thing. And then suddenly you go, goodness, 
and and there's nothing that changes that makes you ready it just happens so i think i've always been ready but maybe i hadn't processed it well enough to be emotionally ready to do it and i think that that's where i am now that the the joy of the writing is before i found it quite painful but now i'm just loving it because i'm i'm going back in time and seeing how much fun i had in my life and that was the thing that i forgot you know when you when you are diagnosed with something and told that you know it's your last christmas and you know you're going to die as as we were we were told in 85 if you got something like hiv you know so so then you forget you build this armor uh, about you that um it's kind of a bit like wonder woman i feel like i have this shield that i just knock anything that comes towards me away but then develop this cold heart and i don't think that part of that coldness is you forget about what actually kept you going which was the joy and there was so you know that there's there's a tv program at the moment called it's a it's a sin so which i think it's on hbo and takes us back to that time um, and for me, there's just a little element that is missing, which is the reality of the people that actually went through that. Because unless you go through something, you don't know what it is. You can be told about it, you can see what it is, but unless you live it, you don't know. But similar to the earthquake and tsunami, everybody, everybody in the world knew about it and it happened and saw it and saw how terrible it was. But unless you live through that, and what happens afterwards because it's not just the event it's everything that happens after the event and you know with the earthquake and tsunami we had thousands of earthquakes in the week after the tsunami some almost as big as the first so every time that happened you're fearful and you live in anxiety you have your little earthquake uh, proof bag sat by the door because you don't know if you're going to need that you sleep in your in your outside clothes. You don't sleep because you're listening all of the time to the walls creaking. It's all of those little things. It's what happens afterwards. Um, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent with that. You you mentioned two things I want to get back to. Number one, your mom and your sister, they are in London and or in England, and you haven't been able to see them for a year. You've been separated more than a year. You've been separated because of COVID and travel bans. How, how have you gotten through that? I think I, I don't think that we've talked enough about how people who have family in different countries or even in the same country have just been isolated from their families. So, I mean, it's always tough to be, to, to, to not have something, but you always have to look at it with what you have rather than what you don't have. So. You know, I've not been able to go back now. I think I left uh, England for the last time on the 20th of February, which was the famous super spreader day in Europe where uh, the football teams all, all crossed over Madrid airport and I flew through Madrid airport that day. And not being able to go back, it's, it's hard, but we have the power, the telephone and communications. If we haven't had that, you know, I speak to my mother every day. So it's, I speak to her, I just can't see her. Um, so it, it, it's sort of difficult. I mean, I could go back, but then if I went back because I'm on a work visa here in uh, America. Worth mentioning that you were on your way to getting a green card, you were in that process. 
Yes. So we were we were literally about to file the green card in March. And when I was getting back off the, the ship that I was on, so we were doing, a, we were both together uh, doing a Royal Caribbean project. And, um, and when we got off the ship, we came back to file everything, couldn't. And then there's such a backlog now that it may take up to three years to get the green card. So, but working on a visa, the visa you can go in and out of the country, but you can't come back from England. You have to go to another country and quarantine there for two weeks. So I could go to Mexico, quarantine in Mexico. I never wanted to do that because I don't speak Spanish. So to be somewhere not speaking the language after the tsunami and the earthquake in Japan, I said I would never live anywhere that I couldn't be understood or didn't speak the language because there's nothing more frightening than having chaos when you don't know what the chaos is. And um, so I would be reluctant to go anywhere and do that because what happens if something else happened while you're in those places? No, not going to do that again. So um, so yes, the, tra the, the travel part of it has been has been difficult because I'm so used to travel. It's part of my DNA and it's part of what makes my DNA. Um, and not being able to see family, I'm luckier than most because my life is so busy and I'm such a peripatetic person that that I'm always all over the place. So, so this is the longest that I haven't been home, but there's been periods of time when I haven't been home for nine months, almost a year. When I was in Japan, it was so far away from home that it was almost impossible to. And we had three days off here, four days off here, maybe a week at a time. It's a long way to go, 20 hours to, you know, have a, 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 a yeah, it was a long way to go. Well, speaking of breaks, we're going to take a quick break here on WJFF, and we'll be back with more Travels with Triggs. Travels with Triggs. Travels with Triggs. And we're back talking with Mark Pawsey. Mark, you know, you were talking about writing your book and it allowing you to rediscover joy. Now, you've had this exceptional career. You've got friends all over the world. You've, you've been such an important part of bringing entertainment into the lives of so many on stage and in the audience. What are some of the qualities when you look back on your life that you have that you think helped you weave this life of so many experiences? Gosh, that's, um, that's the million dollar question. I would say, if, if I could say anything, it's I would hope some sort of authenticity in who I am. Um, because being who you are means you can fit into whatever is needed, wherever it's needed. And I had great training because my training was to really serve, serve the theatre. And, and, you know, in Britain, we talk about duty all of the time, particularly at the moment. But I really think it, it's, it's something that was inbuilt, you know, the, the showbiz mentality of the show will go on regardless you know you do the show every day if somebody close to you has just died your father might have passed away but you don't do the show that was what was inbuilt in us not quite the same 
standards that people have now i don't know if standards is the right word that's that's not fair because that's that's me being a little judgmental on that but definitely it's a little different now you know if somebody's sick they take the day off but you know i did i did shows with albert finney when albert lost his voice and made sure that we'd go on i went on stage together with him so that i could talk to the audience and show them you know there was you went on you did the show uh, especially if you were the name above the the title, you know you 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 had to. It was your responsibility. Um, so, what 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 do I have? I, I think the openness, um, the love of what I do, being passionate about what you do, and going with opportunity. I think being open to opportunity. You know, you have a roadmap that you plan but the roadmap that you take is never the roadmap that you planned and shouldn't be. Because if it is, you're just gonna disappoint yourself and it's not going to be as pleasurable as it could be. Just take the opportunity is everywhere we go and within everybody that, that we meet. There, there's people that come into your life that open doors that you don't even know are open and they're the conduit to take you somewhere else. You know, you have somebody that comes into your life for a, a year or, or whatever, or even a day, and there's some connection that you have, and you may meet them again in five years or something. The world perpetuates each other, especially the showbiz world. So I think that openness and dreaming, you know, I had a dream that I could do anything. That dream got taken away from me, and I was like, no, I'm not going to allow that. So keeping to dream and keeping believing in that I could do anything, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to visit America when I was first diagnosed. So now I'm working in America. So, you know, nobody, if people tell you you can't do something, then no, I, I won't stand for that. So I think maybe tenacity, Greg, having tenacity and, um, and living by kindness, you know, I love what I do. I don't think I don't think you'll you've ever seen me lose my temper. I that's not who I am. I'm passionate about what I do, so I don't suffer fools. Um, but you know, what we do is is special. We 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 help people, we transport people, and transporting people is the most magical gift. And I've been transported, so to have a little hand in helping other people be transported i think is is magnificent do you think that's gotten you through some of the challenges you mentioned i mean i don't even think you were 20 years old when you were told you were hiv positive you've gotten through a tsunami all the challenges of life do you think that 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 spirit has gotten you through those moments absolutely i mean you know i often question what defines me and we're defined by the person we are not by really what comes into our life but i do i do think that that adversity kind of like awakens some sort of spirit inside so you either fight to get through it or you fight to walk away from it and i think i'm the sort of person I would like to think I'm the sort of person that stands up and fights for for his voice, even though sometimes 
in the past, I didn't think I had that voice, but we all have a voice and it's all important. And you don't have to shout loudest to, to be heard. And that's, I, I would say coming to America is a very different way of, of living and being than Britain. In Britain, we're very, oh, I'm so sorry. How, oh yes, of course, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Whereas here, you know, it's not quite like that. Um, people don't like things if, if a steak comes and it's not not right in Britain, we'll go, oh, that's I, it was the best steak I've ever had, even though it was horrible. But here people will complain and not stand for it. So that's that that is very interesting for me to to see. And um and yeah, and I and I like that. I think that's what appeals to me about America. There's a there's a openness. Um don't know whether it's an openness there's maybe i don't know if you if it's even honesty but there's there's yes people say what they feel much more than in britain and that's refreshing in a way and i've got to say with what you've just said never in the multitude of things that can go wrong when you're producing a show or putting up some kind of project i've never seen you accept defeat so, so when when I worked for Cirque du Soleil, there were two, um, Gilles and Croix, who's one of the founders, um, when we we went through a, a, a change at Zumanity, um, big change, we changed the show completely. And basically he said that there is no limitation on creativity. And then there was another um, artistic director called Pierre Parisien who taught me that there's always a solution to have everything. And the solution is not necessarily what you know, um, but what you find out and what you discover. And while I was at CERC, we did this fantastic thing with, uh, we did a management training where they paired you with the person least likely to get on with you. And you then had to, to work with them for a period of several months, not every day, but on a period and work with them. And what was fascinating is you began to think uh, from a different perspective, you would think I did it with a guy called Phil, and I would start to think, I wonder what Phil would think. So it just opened my mindset to greater possibility, you know. And the the philosophy of Cirque was that nothing is impossible, and when you live by those those rules and you apply them, you know, everything's possible. You just have to try it, and if you if you fail at something, it doesn't matter. It's not failing, it's just not having to succeed in the expected way that you wanted. So find another way to, to get it. As I get older, I find that entertainment and maybe life as a whole is best served by exploring possibilities rather than limitations. Let's talk about what something is going to be as opposed to what it can't be. I think that's about you know, it's the, the people that that have cup half full or cup half empty, you know, it's it's just who you are. And I hope that I'm cup half full. Actually, I hope I'm a bit more than half full. I, sometimes it's brimming over the top and you can't sip it up quick enough. But um, but I think it's all about your philosophy. And that's that's how you were brought up, you know. Our parents, we always like to be so different than our parents, but we, that's who we learn from. We learn, you know, those beginning years of your life, 
when you grow up, when you, when you're, I, I would go back in a heartbeat to those, but knowing what I do now to get more, to be more like a sponge rather than to fight it, because that's when you really learn that that's when it's those years that define who you are. They're the building blocks that you learn that you grow from and that you bring into the world when you, when you, when you enter it as an adult. I well, think. as we wrap up this interview, I'm curious when you look back on a life of exceptional adventure and going for what you dream of, what did your parents do that instilled those values or that confidence? My parents had a simple philosophy, which was just, if I was happy, irrespective of what I was doing, but if they could see that it made me happy and it benefited my life, then that was that was good enough for them. So it didn't matter if I was, you know, I remember one day I had this fabulous, these two, a lesbian couple that came to move me and they were so lovely and endearing. And my parents came from little village, hadn't met any lesbians. They met me, but they didn't know at that time that I was a homosexual. Um, and my parents made them sandwiches, did everything, and then called them afterwards to thank them. And it was like, gosh, it, it didn't matter, you know, what their sexuality was. They had done something good for me. They'd helped me out with lovely people. And that, it was that that I think was what I take from my parents. It was that, that sort of, if it's making you happy and it's what you want, then we'll support you, even if we don't necessarily agree with it. Like when I went into the theater, my father, he was the one that really fought for me to go into the theater because when he was, um, he, he was the third child, he'd been to Australia in the, the war as a little six-year-old boy, came back as 12. He wanted to be a farmer, but his parents made him go into the civil service. So he had his dreams and hopes taken away from him. So he made sure that they weren't ever taken away from me. Well, I think they did an exceptional job. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Greg. It's, um, I could talk to you for hours because uh, you're one of those people that I worked with a lot recently and you always inspire me to be better in myself. So. Well, it's a circle. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you, everyone who's listened today. Donna Fellenberg will be back next week at 1130 on Saturday morning with Catskill Character on WJFF. This is Greg Triggs. Thanks for tuning in. Travels with travels with travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where are we gonna go? Travels with Triggs. 